Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today, for Mother's Day weekend. God, where we take a moment and celebrate one of the greatest ideas you ever had, which was mom's. I don't think it's any coincidence that women were the very last thing that you created because you saved the best for last. And God, it is an amazing gift to have a mom. And God, we know that not everybody has the same story when they think about motherhood. We, God, we know that there are people like myself who have lost their moms and this is a solemn and celebratory day at the same time. And those that wanna be moms, and those that may be estranged from their mom or moms that may be estranged from their children. God, but I pray that we would celebrate this day, the fact that you made moms and you made them in your image and you assigned for them the responsibility to raise your children. So we thank you for them. We honor you for them. And God, I pray that all of our moms would be blessed today. And now as we open up your word, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how amazingly this text that we're gonna see today in John, even though it's maybe not a traditional Mother's Day message, it would apply but even if we're not a mom, God, this message still applies to all of us because it is your word and it is powerful. And so, God, I pray as we open it up today that you would speak to us. You would help us to see the truth in it. We want to follow your word because we believe, as we're going to see, Peter said, you alone have the words of life. And so, God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see and to know and believe and walk in this truth. We thank you for it. We thank you for the amazing opportunity we have to gather today. And now as we get into your word, we ask you to help us. Help us to see it. Help me to communicate it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now that we have uh, all sufficiently wiped our eyes from that song, uh, what an amazing song. As you heard, one of our team members here wrote that song. And we're so excited about it because... It, it, you know, Phil obviously comes out this week and we were excited to celebrate this song and celebrate moms. And, and even as I was laying out the messages, we're at the end of the gospel of John. In fact, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up in John chapter 21. We've been preaching through the gospel of John if you're new here. And so you're coming in on the tail end. You've missed about two years. All right. Uh, you can go back and watch those messages. Um, but amazingly, as I was laying these messages out, and knew that this was Mother's Day weekend and getting into John chapter 21. It's a story of Peter and his conversation with Jesus. And then a third guy is that it involves John, as you're gonna see in just a second. But I thought, man, this is a great message for everybody to learn, but particularly it's a great message for Mother's Day because it'll apply uniquely in some ways. And so I'll try my best to kind of weave those things in as we get into the message. But we're closing out the gospel according to John this week and next week. So today we're gonna to do verses 20 through 24, and then next week we'll do the very last verse, which is verse 25. And I know you're all very sad about that, all right? But it's been a great book. 
So let's jump in, John chapter 21. I'm gonna read verses 20 to 21, and then we'll stop and chat about it. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it, is your, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I said verse 21 is actually verse 22. But this story, if you were here for the last couple of weeks, you kind of know the buildup to this story is this is after the resurrection. Jesus has died and risen again, and he has revealed himself three different times to the disciples. This is the third time. And John, in the Gospel of John, records this unique encounter because the other Gospels don't. It gives us a little bit more detail on this third one. They were fishing in the Sea of Galilee, weren't catching any fish. Jesus shows up, just like he did when he first called them, and says, hey, throw your net over on the right side. As we said, it's not right versus left, but it's right versus wrong. And so then they catch all these fish. And it's not because Jesus was a better fisherman, it's because Jesus can actually command the fish all right, to get into the net, which is why it's a great idea to follow Jesus, all right? When you obey Jesus, you are obeying the person, you are obeying God who can make something out of nothing. And so even when it feels like nothing good can come out of your circumstance, you obey God because he can make something out of nothing. Prime example, you and me, all right? He made something out of nothing. And so that's the story. Then they get to the shore and then Jesus sets up a fire. He sets up a charcoal fire, which is to me just one of the coolest things about Jesus. He's got time to sit down by a fire and have a conversation with, the bo with his boys. And this is the second time that the Gospel of John mentions this, specifically because Jesus was reinstating Peter. The very first time that we see a charcoal fire, it's when Peter is denying Jesus three times. And then we talked last week how Jesus recreates the whole situation, another charcoal fire, and then brings Peter along to not just give him a second chance, because it doesn't matter how many chances God gives us, we're gonna fail, right? But he's reinstating Peter. He's, he's allowing Peter a chance to repent, and it's, it's the idea of being reborn. He's not giving him a second chance at, a, at his old life, he's giving him a whole new life. But the, the thing that I love about Jesus, and even to a large degree Peter, is even in that instance where Jesus is reinstating Peter, Jesus is recommissioning Peter, Peter, like us, still is slow on the uptake. He still wrestles. I mean, here we are in the middle of this amazing scene of Jesus reinstituting Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus is reinstituting Peter into the leadership role. And what is Peter's response? What about that guy? This is like moms, this is like I'm related to you. This is like when you're having a conversation with your child. Hey, clean your room. Hey, brush your teeth. And their instant response is, well, what about her? Right? Yeah, come on, mamas. What about him? And this is when you would say, if I wanted to have a conversation with them about their stuff, I would have had it with them. I'm talking to you, sucker. Right? Because... If their room is not clean, is it any bearing on the fact that you're having a conversation with this child about their room? 
No. But why do we do this? Why do we as human beings deflect when the spotlight is being shown on us? Because we get so easily distracted with what about this is? What about this? What about that? Because it allows us to kind of take the focus off of us and put it onto someone else. And that's what I find so interesting about this conversation. Jesus has just told Peter what to do. Feed my sheep. He said it three times. And Peter's first response is to turn, to look back, to see that John is creeping on him. John's right there. And he's like, what about this man? And this is what I want us to see. It says that he turned, which obviously on a, just a basic level means he changed direction, right? He, he, he turned his head. So here he is talking with Jesus, kind of face to face. John's behind him. He gets that sense, right? That John's behind him. And then he takes his focus off of Jesus and turns it on to John. He takes his focus off of Jesus and he turns. Now that again means change of direction, change of focus, but here this word turn, if you were here for Easter, I talked about it, could actually metaphorically mean something deeper. It also can mean to change one's beliefs. It's the idea of repentance. If you were here for Easter, if you remember, when Jesus said Mary's name, she turned. She turned. And we talked about how that turning when she heard her name was like repentance, it was like rebirth. He turned her around. He didn't just turn her physically, he turned her spiritually. He, he rebirthed her, right? And that's what the Bible talks about. It's not just getting your life together. It's like, no, 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 no. It's just rearranging you know, deck chairs on the Titanic for most people, but no, it's actually turning. It's actually, no, I, I'm, I was this way, now I'm this way. And so what I want us to see is there's more going on here than Peter just actually turning his head. Peter is going back to his old ways. Because here's what we know about Peter. Peter was impulsive. He was impetuous. I've said this many times. When Jesus was walking out onto the sea of Galilee, this same lake that they're sitting beside right now, and Peter sees Jesus, he's like, Jesus, command me to come out on the water and I'll do it. And Peter's, Jesus is like, all right. And so he does. But instantly, Peter takes his focus off of Jesus, looks down at the waves, and he starts sinking. This is the exact same scenario. Jesus is giving Peter a command, walk on water, feed my sheep. And Peter's like, all right. And then all of a sudden, Peter takes his focus off of Jesus. But this time, he not turns it to the water, he turns it to another person. And he says, what about this man? Now, let me give you this point, and then we'll unpack it. If you're taking notes, you might wanna write this down. The what about this will wreck your walk with Jesus. The what about this will wreck your walk with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Jesus had just given Peter strict, very clear instruction you follow me. You feed my sheep. You follow me. That's what you are called to do. And Peter's first response is, what about this? 
What about this? And I can't tell you how many times in over almost 25 years of pastoring now, I have seen people wreck their lives with what about this is. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus gives us a command to follow him, that part is clear. Jesus said it when he called his first disciples. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's the process that he calls every disciple to. So there's an element that all of us have to deny ourselves. This is why the argument of I was born a certain way doesn't hold water because we're all born a certain way and that's bent. We're all born sinners. We're all born with desires that are contrary to the will of God. So everybody has to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus. That's the call and that call is clear. But here's what happens. We start talking back to Jesus. Moms, again, I know you know nothing about this, right? We start talking back to Jesus and like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, Jesus. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know you said follow you, but what about this? What about this? And hear me. These what about this questions may be innocent because we got a lot of questions, don't we? I mean, there's a lot of, I have a lot of unanswered questions and the Bible just doesn't answer every question. In fact, I got to let you in on something. This might be one of the toughest parts about following God is he doesn't operate on your agenda. Isn't that frustrating? I mean, it was so frustrating when I was a kid that my mom didn't do everything that I asked. Right? And I was the youngest of three, which we all know she loved me more. She didn't, she didn't. Merry Christmas, my older brother and sister. She didn't. But they thought that she did, right? And it's not that I could get away with more than they could. They were just so bad that she just had given up, right? And so, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But I would ask my mama for something. I would ask my daddy for something. Hey, what about this? I mean, one of my moms, the thing that I frustrated my mom with, with above everything else is when we went to the store. Because I would, we had groceries that not like the big basket ones that today, but it was like the high top one where you could get underneath and I would sit underneath there and I would hit every tag as we went down the aisle, right? I mean, my mama didn't have to go to the gym. She was pushing us around. And so I would say, mama, what about this? What about that? I want this. I want that. And she said that the reason why our grocery bill was so high is because it tripled like with every child that went, right? Like she went for these things and then she came back with a load full. This is why we had Suburbans. It wasn't just because we were big people. It's because we needed to put all the groceries in the back. And so I would distract my mom. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And that was so frustrating when my mom wouldn't do what I said she should. But then I became an adult and realized that's the fastest way to ruin a child. 
Because here's what you got to know. When it comes to following, you're not going to get every question answered. And watch this. It's not even because your parents or God are not good. It's that they could tell you the answer and you wouldn't understand anyway. Now think about that. You might have questions with God, what about this? And they might be big questions like the problem of evil, theodicy. God, what about this? What about this? They might be smaller questions like John and Peter here. Not about what about this, but what about this man? What about this woman? She seems to be getting ahead. I mean, I look at her Instagram, she looks happy. And God's like, she's lying. <laughs> right? She didn't post everything about what happened right before that family photo. We'll talk more about that in a second. But here's what I'm getting at. The what about this is have the potential to wreck your walk with Jesus. Because here's what they do. They take your focus off of Jesus and onto something or someone else. See, I love Jesus' response to Peter. If it's my will that he stay until I come, what is that to you? What is that to you, Peter? What does it matter what I've told John to do? Because what I've told John to do is different than what I've told you to do. But guess what, Peter? I'm not gonna judge you in the end based upon what I told John to do. I'm gonna judge you based upon what I told you to do. I mean, this is parenting 101, right? You tell your kid to clean their room, they don't. And then they stand before you at the great white throne judgment. They say, did you clean your room? Well, what about her room? What about his room? Here's when they get real snarky. What about your room? <laughs> Tell me to clean mine. Yours is a pigsty. Does that matter at all, moms? Yes or no? No. Because you gave a command, and that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. I said, you follow me. What is that to you? And here, and we're gonna unpack this phrase, what is that to you, even more. But here's what we need to understand. The reason why these whatabouts wreck our walk with Jesus because they become bigger than the God who commanded us. See, here's where we need to understand something. If we have the mentality of, I will not do what you say until you tell me what I want to know, then what you just said is, God, what I think is more important than what you think. And if you don't answer this question, then I'm not gonna follow you. Let me ask it to you like this. Can you follow Jesus if he doesn't answer all your questions? Because if you can't, then having your questions answered is more of your functional God than God is. See what I'm saying? I can't follow him unless I know this. Unless I have the answer to this, I need to unlock the secrets of creation. 
That's what's going on here. And that's why they will wreck you. But let's go a step further. It's not just big questions like that. A lot of times, this is what John and Peter are doing here. Because again, if you were here on Easter, we talked about how when they ran to the tomb, they had a little competition. And John wanted you to know multiple times that he outran Peter to the tomb. He was faster. So don't you know they had a little, little friendly competition? Maybe it wasn't so friendly, I don't know. I mean, thank goodness the Holy Spirit came and it worked all that difference out, right? But they had a little something going on in between them, just like children can do, kind of vying for leadership and authority, which is amazing because the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, you wanna know what the disciples were discussing? Which one of them was the greatest? Which one was the goat? Which is amazing to me how men will sit around and discussing which football player was the goat and then they'll let their marriage fall apart. Why don't you quit worrying about who's the goat on the football field and try to be the goat in your own house? You say, well, how can I be the greatest of all time? Jesus told him in Matthew 22, be a servant. See, Jesus's measurement of greatness is a little different than ours, isn't it? And this is what's going on, I think, between Peter and John. They're kind of vying for authority. Which one is in charge? And so I think Peter is asking Jesus, what about this man? Because Peter wants to know, is he, does he have to listen to me? Go ahead, tell him, Jesus. You just told me, feed your sheep. So he got to listen to me about how we're going to feed these sheep. Right? Peter is getting distracted by the perils of authority and leadership, right? Because he wants to, watch this, measure himself by how he's doing versus how John's doing. Because here's what I think Peter is thinking. John beat me to the tomb. I want to beat him now. I want to be better than him. And so Peter starts playing this comparison game. And this is, I almost made this point instead of the what ifs will wreck it. I almost made the point of comparison will kill your love for Christ. Because it's not about how you're doing versus how they're doing. It's about the area of influence God has given you and measuring yourself against that. Let's get into this. Let me give you a supporting text. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I've got it here on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the churches that he planted because they would get messed up. And so verse nine of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at what Paul says. He says, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. He had to write them letters. Verse 10, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So they were gossiping about Paul, which I know is a shock in the church. They were saying, we don't like Paul. We like Apollos because Apollos is nice. Paul writes us mean letters. This is like your children favoring one parent over the other, right? 
She mean. He nice. He mean. She nice. Pitting parents against each other is a favorite child's pastime, or child's favorite pastime, I should say. But Paul says, let such a person understand that we say what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. Paul's saying, listen, we have integrity. We do what we say. That's, that's the goal of following Jesus, right? I say it, I do it. That's what having integrity is about. But look at this, verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. See, Paul is giving us some insight into what is going on here with Peter and John. Peter is compare, he's daring to compare. He's saying, Lord, what about this man? And what's interesting about these words here, classify means to categorize. We, we might say today, stereotype. We stereotype people. We classify people. We categorize people. Why do we do this? We do this because once we know that they're in a category, then we can dismiss them. Oh, that's those people. And for a lot of us, that may be Democrats. For a lot of us, that may be Republicans. For some, that might be Southerners. And if that's you, there's 49 other states that you can go and live in. I'm just joking, I'm just joking, all right. That would be me classifying. But it's the idea of naturally thinking, well, I'm better because those people are in that category. They're in that group. And here's what you need to know. God doesn't have the categories that we have. He's got dead and alive. That's it. In Christ, not in Christ. That's it. And this is what's amazing. Y'all gonna get to heaven and be shocked about the categories of people that are there. But what you should be shocked is that you are there. Because your category is the worst kind. And I don't even know what your category is. But what I'm saying is this. If you just run with the assumption that you're a sinner, in fact, you're a worse sinner than whoever those people are, then you'll be doing yourself a much better favor than thinking that they are a worse sinner than you. See, Paul says, we don't even dare. That word means to risk. He's like, we don't even dare categorize or compare. I love this. He says, with those that are commending themselves. Listen to me. If you have to commend yourself, it's because you already know you lack in comparison with others. You're commending yourselves because you feel somehow that you already are less than. And this is what's crazy. Those who commend themselves the most are almost always the most insecure among us. But those who don't commend themselves 
but encourage and equip and empower others and commend them are the healthiest among us. Isn't that funny? So Paul's saying, listen, we don't dare to categorize or compare because why? He says, because when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. This word here, measure, it's interesting. It's literally the Greek word metric. It's where we get our English word metric. You guys are so smart. All right, yeah. It's where we get our English word metric. And I don't know how much you're into building things and measurement and all that kind of stuff, but almost the entire world is on what's called the metric system. There's three countries that are on what's called the imperial system, which is, you know, feet and yards and that kind of stuff. Us, the United States, Myanmar, and Liberia. <laughs> That's an odd pairing, y'all. And back in the, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, we almost moved over to the metric system. But just something about Americans, we just like to be different than everybody else, right? Because, you know, we're the best country that ever lived. And listen, I'm not saying we're not a great country. I love our country. But other countries got buildings older than us. It's funny, we show up on the scene, we're like, I ain't down with that metric stuff. I'm down with, that's about a foot. That's how we gonna measure. You ain't gonna tell me this whole amazing system in units of 10. You're not gonna tell me that makes any sense. No. We gonna go with, that's about a foot. And we gonna put those three together and we're like, that's a yard. Right? This was funny. I got a yard stick here which reminds me a lot of something that my mom used to beat me with, but that's, that's another story, all right? <laughs> but this is 36 inches, 36 inches, which is three inches short of a meter stick. Three inches short of a meter stick. Because the metric system, as I already said, is based on measurements of 10, right? So centimeter, you go all the way up to a meter, right? It makes sense. It's all in units of 10. It makes perfect sense. It's logical. Let me say it like this. It's a logical unit of measurement. Now, again, I'm not making a statement about yards and feet. I'm using this as an example. But here's what we do. We come up with our own system of measurement and it's not logical. It's based upon our perception of what a foot is, what a yard is. And it's three inches off. Now, anybody that builds anything will tell you if something is three inches off, <laughs> it's way out of square, y'all. Anybody want to build a house or live in a house that, yeah, I mean, it's three inches off. When you walk to the bathroom, you're going to go like this, but it's, but it's okay. See, here's what Paul's saying. If you measure yourself by one another and with one another, you have a messed up measuring stick. You have a messed up 
measuring stick. And one of the reasons why so many of us are so wound up and knotted up. What's amazing, this unit of measurement is a very close word to the word for anxiety. What if one of the biggest sources of our anxiousness came from our messed up measurements? Because we keep measuring ourselves with one another and by one another. But none of y'all are level. This is what I love about Paul. Look at what he says next. He actually helps us. He says, we won't do that, but what will we do? But we will not boast beyond limits. But we will boast only with regard, listen to me, listen to me, with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Paul says, I'm not gonna boast beyond limits. What's amazing, that word there, limits, is the same word for the word for measurement, but you put the letter A in front of it, so it's ometric, which I've told you this before. Anytime you put the letter A in front of a word, it means the opposite. So for example, muse means to think. So you put the A in front of muse, and you get the word amuse. It means to not think, which we built entire parks called amusement parks, which is where you go that you don't have to think until they made up fast passes and all these apps and all this stuff. You're like, now I'm paying to think. This is not what I'm here for, which is why you need a vacation from your vacation, right? Going to Disney ain't a vacation for nobody because you're running everybody around by certain times paying way more for overpriced food, telling your kids, we're having fun. Right? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to amusement parks. Here's what I'm saying. Maybe anxiety is coming from all metrics because you're living beyond limits that God assigned for you. See, God assigns limits. God assigns areas of influence. See, this is what's going on with Peter. God is telling Peter, Peter, I did not assign to you the area of influence where you get the right to criticize John. That is not your area of influence. John is not your child. This is, I gotta be honest with you, this is what I don't understand about a lot of Christians, how you have time to measure everybody else and criticize everybody else. Can I just tell you, criticism is not a spiritual gift. I, got, I don't have time to post or write reviews or criticize everybody else because I'm just trying to be faithful with the area of influence God has given me. Because in my marriage, my two children leading this church, I got full, full assignments. I don't have time to say to Jesus, what about this church? What about that church? Which again, it always amazes me. New people come to our church all the time. Then they're critical about our church. I'm like, well, if your last one was so great, why didn't you stay there? And what does it say about you that you've tried five churches in five years and none of them meet your measurement? 
What if not the church is wrong, but what if your measuring stick is wrong? See, God has given each one of us an area of influence. And if you're a Christ follower, that first one is you. Lead yourself. This is the temple space we talked about last week that God is marking out in you. Then if you're married, it's your marriage. If you're not married and you're single, you're not somehow less than because God's not comparing you to married people. Paul was single. So you can be faithful to Jesus and be single. That might be an area that God has assigned to you. Jesus was single. Not a bad thing to be like Jesus, right? Then your kids, your family, then your church family, then your community. See, God is giving you these areas of influence and he wants you to be faithful in the areas with which he assigned you, measuring yourself by Jesus, not by one another. Let's go back to John chapter 21, verse 23. It says, For the saying, so the saying spread abroad among the believers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things is John and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. Look at this phrase where he says, yet Jesus did not say. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, for they say. They, you know they. All you got are they, which is some secret organization out there controlling your life. I'm not saying there's not twisted things working in the shadows. Oh, for sure. But when you stand before God, are you gonna say, God, I tried to follow you, but they, they said, you know, the, the kids at the lunchroom table, you know, on IG, they, they said, they said, they said. Well, guess what? According to John in chapter 21, they say some stuff that ain't true. The saying spread, yet Jesus did not say. Listen to me. The one opinion that matters is what Jesus said. Yet Jesus did not say. How many of us are measuring ourselves against things that they said, not Jesus said. Jesus didn't say it. Jesus didn't say you had to do that. Jesus didn't say you had to dress like that. Jesus didn't say you had to weigh that much. Jesus didn't say that. But see, here's what's crazy. Since it's your measuring stick, you are 100% sure it's accurate. Because if more people would just understand what you understand, if more people would just know what you know, we'd be in a much better world, right? I mean, that's what we think. This, 
Why don't you and I just go ahead and make the assumption that our perception is off? Because we're sinners. And I'm saying this about myself. Yeah, 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 but, but this is how I feel. Yeah, because my feelings have never let me down. Right? If I would have gone with my feelings, I would have been married about 10 different times and probably in prison. Because my feelings aren't factual. My feelings are my... Uni- now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying your feelings are inherently bad. You need to feel them. But there may be something you feel that you need to deny. See, our feelings might be only a half inch, but we think they're three inches. Or three millimeters. Or a meter. It's a messed up measurement. So what's the measurement? What Jesus said. Let me give you this quote. I have it here on the screen. I love this quote by a really cool author. He says this, words people say not only have a shelf life, but have the ability to shape life. Bob Goff, a Christian author. Words people say not only have a shelf life, which means they live on, but they have the power to shape life. See, what Jesus was saying to Peter is, Peter, you let my words shape you. You follow me. You feed my sheep. That's the area of influence I've assigned for you. That's what I said to you. Let my words shape your life, not someone else's. Which here's what's amazing about Peter. And again, Peter knew that. In fact, let me go back to John chapter six. This is Peter earlier in the book. Listen to what he says to Jesus. After this, John chapter six, verse 66, 666, saddest verse in the Bible. I don't think it's any coincidence that it lined out like this. After this, many of his disciples turned back. Same idea of turning. And no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you wanna go away as well? Verse 68, look at what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter knew that. You alone, some translations say, have the words of life. To whom else can we go? But here's Peter going to John. What about this man? And Jesus says to him, what is that to you? So I'm gonna end this message asking you the same question that Jesus asked Peter. What is that to you? What is that? What is that thing that someone said to you way back when that has shaped your life in such a way that has caused you not to follow Jesus in a certain area or in a certain way? And Jesus is here saying to you today, what is that to you? If their words shape you more than 
my words, then that is idolatry. You are letting someone else's words shape you. Now listen, I'm not saying that words don't have power. I just did, which is why the dumbest riddle ever made was sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never. That's a lie. Whoever made that up, I don't know who made it up, but I hope they repented. Because I would much rather you break my bones. Because my bone knows how to heal, but my heart doesn't. So there may have been people that have shaped your life based upon words that they have said. And here's what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you. Jesus didn't say that. Yet Jesus did not say. Maybe you're living your life with a messed up measuring stick. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today and saying, I'm not measuring you by that. Why are you measuring you by that? I didn't say that. I didn't say to do that. You got distracted with a, what about this? And it took your eyes off of focusing on Jesus and following him. So moms today, please quit measuring yourself by some messed up measuring stick. And by the grace of God, do the best you can every day to train up your child in the way they should go. That's the measuring stick. If the room ain't perfectly clean, God ain't saying you failed. You follow him in the area of influence he assigned to you. And trust him with the rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this conversation that we get to see that Jesus had with Peter. Because it's so helpful. It's so helpful to know that you are such an individual God. That you assign areas of influence to every one of us. And God, maybe there's a lot of us wrestling today because we're measuring ourselves against words you never said to us. And so God, I pray that you would help us. You would help us to see that Jesus is the only person who ever solved our greatest problem, which was death. And he traded his life for ours. And so if we'll trust and believe him, we'll have life. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, as always, maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus because you've been measuring yourself and getting stuck in whatabouts. And well, the only what about you need to worry about is death. What about death? And Jesus solved that problem. He overcame it with life and he is life and you believe him, you'll have life. And if you follow him, you'll have life to the fullest. So maybe today you wanna to trust Jesus for the first time. If you do, you can pray with me. You don't have to do this out loud. You say, Father, thank you for loving me. That You sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. 
Forgive me. I'm trusting in you. I want to follow you and leave the what ifs with you. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you're here today and you just trusted Jesus and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? We got men and women gonna walk around both of our campuses, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. A moment, whether you're online or in person, you can fill out our digital connection card. In person, it's on the seat back in front of you online. It's right there. Let us know who you are. But those of us that we've trusted Jesus, we're like Peter, but we just get so distracted by what about this and what about that? And God is saying to you, what is that to you? What is that? Maybe it's the opinion of a parent that you've let shape you. That's not something Jesus said to you. Maybe it's feelings. Maybe it's some other kind of messed up measuring stick. Know that Jesus loves you enough not just to give his life for you, but he loves you enough to lead you into life. And life is not found in what ifs and comparing and categorizing. Life is found in what did Jesus say? And I'm gonna follow that. Father, I pray that you would apply this to our heart. We need it. Help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow you, because you alone have the words of eternal life. So God, I pray that we would let your words shape us more than anything else. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.